Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray in the chair, hoping you've managed to gather yourself after a pretty thrilling final round at the year's first major and ahead of the always highly anticipated week that is the Masters. Yes, given all that, we'll continue our divergence from some of our more regular discussion topics to focus again on the world of professional golf with the helping hand of one of the game's best scribes. John Huggan will be with us in just a moment, and that is always a joy. But first, to my regular co-host, Adrian Logue, some heavy lifting for you this week, Logue. I didn't manage to see a single shot of golf at the weekend. Mm -hmm. I did follow along on Twitter, but I'm assuming that you did. There was some great stuff at the ANA, and I'm particularly interested in what happened at the ANWA, but uh, we'll talk to that in a second. Sure. Uh, good to have you aboard. Yeah, thanks, Rod. I'm, I'm in a terrible mood today. It's not uh, like you. No, terrible mood. <laughs> right. I came in. The commute here was awful. It was sort of drizzly. Every, everything worked against <laughs> me this morning. So it's just it's right. Yeah, I actually think what's happening coming getting in hot. Up. Yeah, this is this has not been uncommon the last couple of weeks for you. I think what's happening here. There's a pattern developing. What you, are, my friend, is aging. Oh, really? <laughs> you, have a look at me. Have a close look. <laughs> This is where you're heading, my friend. So just be aware. I haven't of quite it. got that jaundice tint. <laughs> you haven't got, the, haven't got the cynicism and the hate yet, but it'll yeah. come. It'll come. Uh, looking forward to chatting about all that stuff shortly. Part of that talking, of course, will be done by one of our favourites here at Good Good, John Huggin. He's one of the game's best writers and analysts. He's now added podcasting to his resume with his fortnightly hosting of Golf Australia's in-depth interview show, The Thing About Golf. Huggy, terrific chat with Martin Slumbers on the current episode, which we might touch on later. Uh, but looking forward to chatting today with you about all things ANA, ANWA, Augusta National Golf Club and the Masters. Thanks for taking the time, mate. I know it's late at night there. Anytime. Let's, um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a very good mood in contrast to Adrian because I've just. <laughs> that probably puts I've us on about the watching, same level of mood. <laughs> I've, I've just finished watching my beloved Hibernian beat Queen of the South in the Scottish Cup. So we're, we're into the last eight or you, 16 or something. So you, anyway, you might need to it, talk to me more often, Huggy. The last time we chatted, didn't Scotland beat the Faroe Islands 4 0 or something well, when yeah, we were on Sky? That's the mighty Faroe Islands. I'm punching yeah. down a bit, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, outstanding stuff. Huggy, you're missing another Masters. I think we spoke about this last November. We had you on ahead of uh, ahead of the Masters. Do you yeah. Do you miss it? What do you miss about it? There's real mixed feelings about Augusta National, isn't there, as we were just discussing before we pressed the record button. It's an odd yeah. tournament and venue, this one, isn't it? It is. I mean, I'm, I mean, I love going. I've been 20-odd times to, to the Masters, been, uh, which I'm, I have to say is I'm, I'm lucky to have done that. Um, but I, and I'm always keen to go, and and it always you know great anticipation and all the rest of it. And but tell you what, by the end of the week, it's get me out of here. The the best view of Augusta by the end of the week is in the rearview mirror <laughs> heading back to Atlanta. Well, maybe you looked it in the rearview mirror for the last time. I'm not sure if they listen to the show, but if they do, I'll certainly never be going. No question about that. And you may not be going back. Before we come to the preview of the Master List, a bit of a review of the ANA logo. As I said, you're going to do the heavy lifting. Start with the ANA inspiration. We of course Jordan Spieth winning at the Texas. Open. Mm -hmm. We must have all been. We've been following Spieth closely this year as he's made his comeback. Lydia Co almost did a Spieth mm -hmm. at the ANA with an extraordinary Sunday round. What was it like watching it unfold live? Twitter made it look pretty good. Yeah, it was great to see Lydia Co back. She had a sixty-two in, I think, in the so yeah, sixty-two, yep. one of the lowest final rounds ever in a major, if, if not. Final round might be lowest ever, uh, and it certainly matched the course record mm. there at uh, Mission Hills, as far as I know. And uh, Lydia Ko's golf swing is looking a lot better. She's she's stopped doing that silly. Well, it couldn't look any worse than that lead better. That, that silly lead better stuff yeah. she was doing. She swinging it really well. She so credit to Sean Foley, I guess. And she's hitting it pretty long. So I don't know. She's overcoming using those PXG clubs, which are absolute <laughs> rubbish. 
So <laughs> good on her. Yeah, um, dear idea. But no, she's been very persistent and she seems to be want, mentally she's in a state where she wants it again. She wants to be back on top. Um, and all the but, but she's also a lot more mature. It. and Yeah. What is she, 23, 24? She seemed very chill through the whole final round. Didn't look like she was shooting 10 under. Or it was Yeah, very good. I'm not the only one to note the parallels here, Huggy, between Spieth and Co. Both extraordinary natural talents, it would seem. Extraordinary success early on. Both have had some struggles and now on the comeback. It's just coincidence that they're doing it together. But they're a certain type of player, aren't they, those two? Uh, yeah. I mean, to an extent. I mean, I'm not sure. Was Lydia Cole that ever the kind of wild off the tee magician inside 100 yards. I mean, she no. was more of the sort of yeah. astute tactician strategy, you know, top of the list. I mean, she was, I remember Clates talking about her playing at Royal Melbourne a few mm. years ago when she won the, the Aussie, it was the Aussie Women's Open. Women's yep. Open yeah. Yep. And she won it, you know, and she was clearly the best player in his mind. I mean, I wasn't there for that one, but uh, not this that's what Tiger he, at he the always raves Cup. about, that oh, aspect yeah. of her game, which is, doesn't sound a lot like Jordan Spieth to me, really. No. Similar career tra- trajectories, trajectory, maybe. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. That, they both have that sort of weird thing. They just have this ability to get it in the hole. Lydia mm. with extraordinary. I was there for that final round that Clates often talks about. Huggy. I, fought, I walked with Clates, which was a double joy for me. Got to see Lydia Coe and listen to Clayton commentate on it. So that was a, mm. a, yeah. a win-win. That was not dissimilar to Tiger's performance at the President's Cup a couple of years ago, which I know you followed, yes. followed him yeah. along. You know, and it, it was just obvious. There was the field, and then there was this one sort of standout player. You've been around the game a long time, Huggy. They're not... They don't come along that often, not as often as we seem to think they do, but these young sort of phenoms, Co in particular, 15 years old as an amateur, won the Canadian Women's Open with 17 of the top 20 ranked women in the world mm-hmm. in the field. I'm not sure we even yet appreciate what an achievement that was. Mm. Yeah, she she was extraordinary. I mean, it almost beggars belief that I – mean, what was her motivation? I, I'm, I'm, I can't remember ever reading exactly what she said was her motivation for – Trying to get better in inverted commas, or, mm. or changing her swing. I mean, what does any do? Any of you guys know what what was actually behind that? It's not new, is it, Logue? It it, it yeah. we, we've watched this. How many how many top elite golfers have ruined their golf swings at least temporarily oh. by messing with them? Almost yeah. all of them at some point. Surely it, it wasn't at the time. It wasn't chasing length. Uh, she she was just changing coaches and chopping and changing a lot of stuff in her life and some personal turmoil yeah, perhaps as so, well moving things yeah. around changing caddies and all that sort of stuff as well. Just she seems to have gotten to a good place now. She is long now, long enough, and her swing looks fantastic. the best slight. it's ever looked. She's disappearing before our eyes, Lydia. Yeah, she's Physically, not she's, big, is she? Oh, she's gotten smaller yeah, she's and smaller and thinner and thinner every year for the past, yep. the past few years. But uh, look, that'd be something to look forward to. The, the LPGA huggy, generally speaking. Does it have a giant character? We'll talk about the winner, Paddy Tanakavik. Easy for you to say. <laughs> In a moment, Paddy, the um, extraordinary performance for the young girl from, from Thailand, who I guess if you followed women's golf more closely than I have been, you may have been more aware of her, but she certainly seemed to come out of the clouds for most of us. I think, but the LPGA is it in a good place? It's a quite democratic tour, isn't it? As a, uh, there's no sort of standout single star. We had Tiger Woods in the men's game for a long time. Is that a better situation? We had Lydia Ko for a few years was the standout star. Is that a better situation than what we've got now, or are they just two different sides of the same coin? Competitive golf. Well, yeah, I mean, I I like well, I I've said this and I've written this a couple of times over the last few months is that I actually enjoy watching the women more than the men now, the, the top men against the top women. Uh, and it do, there does seem to be, you're right, there's a there's more of a spread in the women's game in, in that the, 
whoever's number one at, at any particular moment doesn't seem to be completely, you know, dominant. I mean, there's, they stand out because they're number one, but there's been a few changes. I mean, there's they, they, they flip back and forth. There's maybe six, seven, eight players now mm-hmm. right at the top of the game that can win at any one week. And, and more than that, given that we saw women that I must admit I'd never heard of um, win uh, at the NA, um, but she was terrific. My, what a great swing she had! Mm-hmm. And then I, I heard on the, the telecast that she's coached by Grant Waite, which made some sense because Grant Waite back in the day had a beautiful swing. He was a he was a lovely golfer to watch. And I often wondered why he was one of those guys that you thought, how does he not do better? But uh, she she I mean she did everything right. I mean Lydia Cole was coming from a long long way back, too far as it turned out, but. Um, the girl that won, I mean, she handled the pressure really well, I thought. I mean, she held a couple of stout putts near the end and and just strolled home, really, at the end. Averaged, like, 323 yards off the tee for the week. This yeah. is yeah. staggering. As far as you, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> Struggled to walk that far. Um, I, yeah. <clears throat> I think they only measure a couple of holes and mm. who knows what the conditions were like on those holes. But, I mean, that's a big number still. And But she's got, uh, she's like long. Huggy said, she's got a great golf swing. It, it just looks so solid. It's like Elkington-esque. You know, it's really solid. It, and it is no surprise, Grant Wade. Grant Wade always, I always thought he looked like he was pulling it. Every single shot, he looked like he was pulling it, I reckon. Good Extraordinary swing. recall Between, for stuff um, that makes not just, much sense, anyway. frankly. But yeah, she was pretty clutch down the, you know, going into a final round like that with such a big lead. She claimed she wasn't looking at the leaderboards, but she would have known something was going on with Lydia Coe. Yeah, you'd have thought, but she's adamant that she didn't. Yeah, well, she moved away from the field with a four under final round, and she was four under, it was all over by the 18th but only because of some really clutch golf from her. I think she she blasted one way past the, the hole on 16 for a first putt and then hold the comebacker mm. and a really good up and down on 17 um, when the pressure was under. And that just took all of the life out of the tournament. And so she could she went down 18, there's no pressure on her. Just how the leader wants it to be. Exactly. No drama at all with the 18th hole. Well, there was no drama either with the the way they had the pin oh sorry not the pins huggy geez, uh the uh tees um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the tees I, I feel like the tees could have been a bit further forward huggy on the 18th to give yeah. them a bit more of encouragement to take that risk equation on there yeah i tell you what was disappointing was i i was disappointed to see that the uh the, the barricade that was there the year before that sort of thing that you if you've ever been to see lame as a rabbler they, they build and you know on the stage for that, I mean that that thing at the back of the green mm-hmm. was gone. That was I thought that was I thought they should keep that. That was that was wonderful. It was, that's what golf's all about: barricades at the backs of the greens. I thought it was um, essential to the tournament, wasn't it? Was it <laughs> there was a load bearing wall. I thought. Oh, that was a real low yeah. moment. I mean, yeah. my goodness, what absolute nonsense that was! It was a sponsor bearing wall. Sponsor bearing. We talked about it at the time. But the staggering thing about that to me was that nobody in the LPGA apparently had the golf smarts to say that's awful. Get rid of it before the tournament starts. Mm. Every golfer in the world looked at it and said, "Oh, you can't have that. That's terrible." Yeah. If it's a grandstand, you just go, "Okay, well, you know, it's not ideal, but you get it." There's corporate people and sort of. But when it was just a wall for no apparent purpose other than a sponsor, <laughs> other, other to, to factor in the finish. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> well, wow, you know, Miriam Lee hitting it in there, and that really backfired on them. Obviously, so good to say that they learned from it, uh, uh, which was uh, which was good stuff. Uh, what did you learn about Paddy Tanakavikit? Tava Tanakavikit. Tava Tanakavikit. <laughs> good, it's a good name uh, during the week, though, because as I said, I'm completely uneducated. Uh, well, just she seems like a really good guy. I don't know why we haven't heard much about her before. Um, I think I'm pretty sure 
this is the sort of victory and the manner in which she did it, where she's going to take a lot of confidence out of this. She's she's young enough that you know this 21, one, 21 years old, uh, I think twenty one years, yeah. she's yeah. six yeah. months old. She turned twenty one now, yeah. and and she's young enough that she won't be thinking, "Oh, I've achieved everything I want to achieve," and she won't fade away now. Like it's 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 an early a first LPGA victory being a major sometimes signals oh that that person's you know you're not going to hear from them again it's just hillary lunky right yeah um but but no i I can remember it's young enough that she only hit it about 150 yards off the tee it's the only thing i can remember about her but uh, she did win the u.s women's open she beat annika sorensen in a playoff if i'm not mistaken did she not (laughs) pumpkin pumpkin ridge perhaps yeah yeah Yeah, indeed uh one of the (laughs) all-time One of the all-time greats. Uh, Lydia Ko, is she 23, Lydia Ko? Can that be right? Unbelievable. Really? 23. No way. <laughs> yeah, 23. And we've just be, we've become so used to her. She's quite a special sort of talent. She says, Huggy, that she's going to retire at 30, is what she said a couple of years ago. She wants to retire at 30 and become a psychiatrist. Is this the urgency we're now seeing in her comeback? Well, I mean, that's not going to happen. You I mean, wouldn't think. Yeah. Other than, unless you're Lorena Ochoa and you marry the richest man in Mexico or something, you know, you're not going to walk away, I don't think. Um, I just can't imagine that happening. It depends. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I don't know her well enough to, to be definitive about that, I suppose. But uh, it does seem unlikely that somebody is, with a talent that she's got is going to disappear, um, especially as she's... She's now seen the dark side of it, the the game as well as the you know the heights, if you like. So, if I was her, I, I would keep going. I would start thinking, I better enjoy this while I can, and just keep, and milk it for everything it's worth. Because, uh, and I'm not going to screw it up again like I did before. Yeah, historically, Huggy, you would have seen this, I imagine, a couple of times. It, it tends to happen to almost every really top player, doesn't it? They have a period where they have this, where they go they go off the rails. Something happens and they're not at their best. How does it generally pan out? What do you see in the future for Lydia Ko? And this is one of those interesting ones. She's one of those intriguing characters, I think, a bit like Spieth. And you're not sure what it is, but she has it. You want to watch Lydia Ko and you want to see her career develop. You want to watch her play. Mm-hmm. She's one of those rare people. She's almost as interesting as the winner in this tournament, the second place getter. A um, bit like Norman and Faldo in 96. Nobody talks about Faldo's brilliant final round in 96 at the Masters. Everyone remembers Norman's sort of collapse. Coe's that sort of player, isn't she, Huggy? What do you think's going to happen in her future? Well, she's she's charismatic and she's interesting. I mean, the way she plays is interesting. Certainly the way she played, you know, in her first incarnation, if you like. Um, I loved watching her play because it was, as you just pointed out a few minutes ago, it was like watching Tiger hmm. at Royal Melbourne in the President's Cup. I mean... Just the, the the fascination for me was was getting inside her head and thinking, you know, and and seeing what she was thinking because of the shots she, that she played. I mean, it was so obvious. Um, there was and a joy was, about it too, wasn't it? A bit bit childlike. That's what Tiger always had. Mm-hmm. I thought that others there was a real childlike joy in the showing off of what he could do. Mm-hmm. And Spieth's like that as well. That, yes. That's one aspect of that they the have in common. I mean, Spieth, you know, he gets within. He, he almost likes it when he's hit it into trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's almost like Seve. I mean, Seve, you, you could see Seve going, right, folks, watch this. Yeah, glint in his eyes. It's what, yeah, what I can do. See what I can do here. Yeah. yeah, and Spieth's a bit like that. You know, he, he's he's you know Harry Houdini when it comes to some of the shots he's played. But uh, and that's the fascination is that you're never quite sure what's going to happen next. He's not a plodder in any way, and he never will be. I don't think there's always going to be the the potential for destruction. 
with Jordan Spieth. And even the last time he won, when he won the Open at Birkdale, I mean, has anyone ever come closer to the edge of you know self-destruction than he did and then turn it around and win? Yeah. It was amazing. Amazing day. Within a few, within a few minutes of <laughs> hitting one of the worst shots imaginable, he yep. makes one of the all-time great parts. Just a couple of holes later, the go-get-that. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah go-get-that. Uh, indeed, I was just thinking But before you. we go to Spieth and the Texas Open, I just want to get one final thought from Huggy on the ANA. The the celebrations at the end, Huggy, with the, <laughs> with the champagne and everything, they, uh, I mean, they really went overboard with the champagne and everything. Uh, didn't she guzzle it? Yeah, she guzzled it then. Good on her. Not, not just like, like <laughs> she, from it. a distance as well. Yeah, she uh, held it up and like drained it. <laughs> in fantastic it was, stuff. It was pretty impressive. But uh, I don't know. The, I don't like that champagne celebration, but obviously the women like to do it. I don't, uh, it's part of their tour. But it, uh, first of all, I think there's a sponsorship opportunity there. <laughs> they do it in Formula One. They're leaving money on the table. They do it in Formula yeah. One, but the whatever champagne it is that they're using in Formula One pays a fortune for that placement. Um, and it, it looks and well, I think, money well spent because you don't even know what champagne it is. <laughs> I think it's mum. I think, but anyway, it, it's. I think it looks stupid in Formula One as well. And it's just so unpleasant having alcohol poured on you. I, I had. I was carrying a beer at uh, golf the other day, and. When I went to pick up my bag, I did the classic stupid thing where you sort of tip the beer up and, and I spilled a little bit of beer on myself. That's and right. I was miserable for the rest of the day. I smelled, <laughs> still I in a smell, bad mood. I could smell a little bit of beer on me. It was it just felt terrible having a little bit of like alcohol spilled on me. Why do they do it? I, I you didn't get to jump into Poppy's Pond. And that as and well. But, it off. I mean, we spoke to Kari last week and Kari seems to like really like that well, ceremony. So I don't know. It's very contrived. Said, you don't have to lie. It's very contrived though, isn't it? Yeah, that's the, the, fact, the fact that every single winner on the LPGA has no choice but to get dunked in champagne and then at this tournament you've got no choice but to jump in a stupid pond. Mm. It's probably the yeah. best of the tournaments to win because you do get to rinse it yeah. off. So you don't have to yeah. carry yeah. the smell around with you. Well, what do you think, Huggy? Well, we know what Huggy thinks, but let's hear it from wow. the man himself. Huggy. <laughs> These contrived celebrations uh, have your support. Yeah, it always smacks of just, it's just this desperation that Mm. things in America have to create an inverted commas tradition. The Masters is the same. Everything's about tradition. And they've only been around for five minutes, you know, and this tradition of, I mean, jumping into a pond, I mean, really? I mean, it's the most inane thing I can possibly imagine. I mean, who cares? Just don't, just stop. Don't do it anymore. I, I switched off. I didn't even watch that part of it. I, I was, I'd gone to my bed by that time. I just, it's so tiresome. And the champagne nonsense too. It's not even champagne most of the time. It's just bottles of water bottles that of water. they use. It's, it's what a waste of good water. <laughs> which, is, which is a resource that golf needs to be very careful. What, what do the greenkeepers think of all that alcohol being spilt on the green? What's <laughs> it? Does it do any damage to the? I'm not. I'm no agronomist, but now, of course, the thing about all this stuff, Huggy, is it generally starts from something that's spontaneous and fantastic. Yeah. The first player yeah. to jump into Poppy's pond was a wonderful moment. It's then this design. Was it really? Was it wonderful? Well, it would have been. It would have been like um, uh, Jerry Pate chucking Beeman into the pond at TPC Sawgrass. Yeah, that's well, legendary because that, they never that, did it again. That, if they did it every system. year, that would be yeah. terrible. But they don't. And this yeah. is the mistake they've made yeah. with um, with the one at the ANA. Uh, I think, yes, we might have, uh, I suspect, Adrian, we've seen the birth of a very impressive LPGA career in the making at the weekend yeah. with young Paddy. That was very impressive stuff. Hey, what was the surname? <laughs> I've just got to have it in front of me because I get the visa. 
Tavatanakit. It's not hard to pronounce when it's in front of you, but it's just a matter of remembering it, which is terrible, which we sh- we, I suspect we will remember it. A bit like Jatanagan. We'll, we'll learn that and remember it. It's good, good before it's too no Dow Finsterwald, but it's still it's what good it is, really. Well, what I is. think we can just add her to the lengthening list of women players that I like to watch. I mean, the, there's, mm. there's yep. far yep. more of them than there are. I was just actually just before I came through, to, I mean, I'm sitting in my office here doing this. And I was in the the living room watching the after the football after the mighty Hibs made, made it through in the Scottish Cup. We switched over to live at the Masters, and there was Deschambeau on the range, doing things, hitting these golf balls, you know, really quickly one after the other. I mean, I'd be in hospital if I was doing what he was trying to do. And Vijay Singh was standing watching and laughing his head off. I mean, it was grotesque. I mean, if that if that's where golf's headed. I'm not sure I want to watch that. It's that's not even golf. I mean, call me an old fuddy-duddy if you like, but you're uh, that's fu- not for me. Yeah, proved by the fact me. that you went, you, you, you were in such a good mood after Hibbs's victory that you figured you had to do something to bring yourself down. So you turned on well, live at the Masters just to make yourself <laughs> cranky. Yeah, um, and listen to Aaron Oberholzer and Mark Rolfing. You know those two great giants of the game telling us that they're passing on their vast knowledge. Thought, oh my Mount, god! I thought Rolfing only just, does the Hawaiian swing. Yeah, just shoot me now. Jeez. <laughs> I need to withdraw here. You two guys are in just the right mood to take this podcast all the way to uh, to the end. It's become such a – the whole notion, Logue, that there's a live at the Masters three days before the tournament starts. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. going on there? Is there that much – one bearded golfer, a mate of ours, Dave Hill, yeah. tweeted something fantastic over the weekend about – who are the fans that are, you know, thirsting for the information about who stands where in the FedEx Cup points race and, yes. you know, the, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Comcast Business Awards or whatever they've changed those Wyndham Rewards things too? And it's a good question. Who is this actually for? Who does it serve this stuff? Are there people sitting watching live at hours? And I've done it, but I find it comes becomes tiresome fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. The Masters has gone from creating its mystique from showing you so little. And to, to really showing every, to literally every shot now yeah. for the last couple yeah. of years, we've been we've had every single shot from every player, which is just unbelievable. Which actually is fantastic historically. You can go back and look mm. at those shots when you're writing a story eight months later. Right. That's yeah. the great thing about that. Is a wonderful sort of research tool. I can imagine it's a great resource for working working media. media yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So I mean, having established that mystique through a certain strategy where, you know, the, you only ever saw the back nine and then, you know, they gradually, I think sometime in the sort of Norman era, they started to show you a few highlights for the front nine, which were always, you you just soak them up in the first minute or two of the, the Masters coverage coming on, on TV. Uh, and then now that, you know, they show the full thing and then they show and everything. the three contest. And um, <laughs> exactly, yeah. So now it, it's come full circle in a way that has turned it into another form of, the mystique, like they're doing, they're constantly doing something different to every other tournament. And interesting, so, and that, whatever they do, give they them do credit well. for that. Absolutely, like, and, and I do, think they do well. Yeah, it just things like you know, people. It, you can take this and relate it to your own job as well. Like it, it instinctively, if you said a tournament would become one of the most sought after titles in the world by doing the things that the Masters has done. Like, you couldn't sell that to an accountant. You, no, no accountant, no CEO would ever believe you that that's the way to, that you could achieve that success with really cheap concession mm-hmm. stuff, really, you know, no title sponsor, actually no sponsorship really visible at all anywhere. Um, 
uh, all, all of that stuff they do, which is, just seems counterintuitive, mm. but it builds a brand. The one thing that they've got is this really strong brand mm. and nothing compromises that. Um, they don't allow anything else to dilute that. Um, it crosses over from golf to non-golf too because for golfers, it's the course and Alistair McKenzie and Bobby Jones and the ties there. For the non-golfers, it's the Masters and the, the so Mystique and, and all of and that, all sort, that of sort of thing. But, but they've created that Mystique yeah. around the brand. So now they can use it in whichever way they want. Now, in, a, in a way, they're still being true to that brand by showing you all of this stuff because they're still sticking to those principles of, you know, that it's not about sponsors. They're not showing you this extra stuff to to sell more ads. They're, they're showing you this stuff to show you more of the brand of yeah. the masters and they're, yeah. they're building that brand. The selling so. is done in the background and the money yeah. made in the background. Is there a danger, Huggy, a little bit like the PGA Tour, and we've spoken about this many times before, is there a danger of too much? Does the masters run the risk? Now, having said that, they might be one of the all-time great marketing companies alongside Nike. Really, all they're selling is a golf tournament and they've done an extraordinary job of creating something around that which people believe is much, much more than that. And we all buy into it and enjoy buying into it, and I do too. I'm not being critical of that, but it's an incredible marketing job that they've done uh, around a tournament that honestly has no legitimate place being a major if you were to break it down on purely objective criteria. Is there a danger, though, Huggy? I think what Logue's describing there is what they call FOMO in these days, fear of missing out. Don't give away too much, and that's the allure of bringing people in. The more the Masters shows, do they run any sort of risk, do you think, Huggy, or is it something that they can manage as the genius marketers that they are? They seem to be doing okay so far, don't they? There is no getting away from the fact that they run a a wonderful golf tournament. Mm -hmm. If if they just stuck to that and were not the, you know, unfortunately they, they, they portray many of the things that are great about golf and unfortunately, the same number, of, probably the same number of things that are the worst aspects of golf. I mean, the, those kids that were mucking about on that drive chip putt thing at the weekend, you know, if they tried to get into the course the day after the Masters, they'd be arrested. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd be thrown in jail. I mean, there was a guy wandered into Augusta National, what was it, a couple of months ago, yeah. and they chased him down and, and caught him and, and they prosecuted him. I mean, instead of just throwing him out, you know, it's, don't be so daft and off you go. He probably had some drink in him or whatever. But, you know, they, they're just, they're, they're so unfeeling when it comes to things like that. And it, it's the, it's Augusta National, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a nice enough golf course. It's not the fantastic golf course that everyone says it is. I mean, fun, the thing is about Augusta National is that fantastic things have happened there. Yeah. It's not a fantastic golf course. If you, you know, some of the architecture's not that wonderful, if you ask me. But, and it's and the course is behind a big fence, you know. Nobody gets to see it other than the members and their guests for the rest of the year. And that to me is that's the worst thing about golf. I mean, you contrast that with with St Andrews, which yeah. is the, the, the completely <laughs> the other end of the scale, which is open to the public. It's closed on a Sunday. You can have picnics on the on the eighteenth fairway at St Andrews on a Sunday if you want. I mean, you can just put your blanket down and get the food out and, and off you go. I mean the the contra- I mean that golf is not meant to be. I mean I'm, you know, the egalitarian spirit of which that golf was started with has completely been lost at places like Augusta National. And I've, I know I beat this drum maybe too much, but it, I'm tired of places like that. Is that really what golf's all about? I mean, people who don't play golf or follow golf, my kids are perfect examples of that. They they go really. I mean they they have a fence and they have guards and the guards have got guns and there's cameras in the trees to watch people and 
you know the the media the media passes have got things in them that they can fault they can tell where you've been and I mean it's like 1984 I mean George Orwell wrote that years ago that, that, that's what it's like I mean is that really what golf's supposed to be about their, their media media mentions will be listening to yeah that's it. That. <laughs> you, may, you may have done your last masters honey. Um, well you know that that wouldn't bother me but they, they, I don't think they will do that because to ban a, a journalist for for being critical of them would be would be seen by them I, I would imagine as un-American I mean America was built on freedom of speech I mean they, they've gotten rid of a couple of broadcasters you know Gary McCord being the most notable one but the broadcaster. Is different from the journalist. The broadcast they, they weren't on for brand. a company that's in yeah. business with Augusta National. Mm. I mean, I don't work for Augusta National. I work for you know whoever um, media outlets. I mean, that's a different thing. That for them to ban a journalist for being critical of them would be a that would be a big step for them. They, they wouldn't ban you. They'd get they? slaughtered. They'd get slaughtered. Yeah, that. they wouldn't ban you. You'd just never just... win the lottery to play on the Monday. Well, I, I don't go in it, so that, <laughs> that would be another reason. You have to be in it to win it. <laughs> you wouldn't. Uh... It, there's a lot of what they do. By the way, sorry, this is the woke take these days, is to be anti-Augusta National, as you know. Uh, oh, okay. Kenzie's all over that now. Is he? Oh, oh yeah, big well, time. Well, I was about to only the say woke some anti-Augusta stuff. Anti-Augusta, so now you're being oh, you take You've really deflated what I'm Well, they're above scrutiny now. Stepping all over my punchlines here. Sorry. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's they do some stuff. I think they've got a lot of history to make up for, and they're making the right noises now in a lot of ways. There's some missteps, like I think, you're onto something, Rod, with the timing of the Anwar. Um, being, We're calling it the Anwar now. Yeah, that's what I'm going with that. Okay. Being malicious in a sense. like I think there is some malice there. Passive aggressive. Yeah. <laughs> you would think. To, to the way they've scheduled that against the ANA. Um, and a lot of this stuff, the drive, chip and putt and the Anwar, seem a bit performative. Uh, it's, it's performative support. Um, the Asia Pacific, the South American Amateur that, Championship, that, yeah, those, uh, which is all—they're all great things. And over time, I think it's it's important for an organisation like that to be to be doing these performative things because over time they become more authentic. So I, I want to give them a bit of a chance. I think you know if they keep at this and start to get it right, I mean they they're already getting it right, but you question their motivations right now. But these things need generational change. And having their leadership do the, put these things in place now, even if it feels a bit inauthentic, when there's generational change, those things will be in you know, 10, 20 years' time, we'll look back on it and, and the, these will be – they may actually be leading the way – in terms of equality and, so and promoting it. golf properly. Which is a fabulous and optimistic outlook, and I hope you're right, and you may well be. I do hope you're right. The thing about Augusta National is their motives are always very clear. It's about Augusta National and making the Masters the most important tournament in the world, and they've almost succeeded. They've succeeded in America, most likely. Most American players would point to the Masters as the one they want to win the most of all the four majors. Yep. And outside of America, with the South American Amateur Championship and with the Asia-Pacific Amateur, they've created that same attitude simply by making it accessible to elite young players the world over. There's a path to get to Augusta National and the Masters via the Asia-Pacific that exists for all those kids mm-hmm. in Australia who are at the very top of the game. That automatically makes One that. spot. Seems very attainable, too, if you're a really, if you're good, a really if you're good, good elite you, amateur here in you Australia. You're the top five in Australia. You you're could you're win a the chance Asia at winning that. That's exactly yep. right. That won't get you into the open. There's not that pathway. And so they've created this thing where the Masters 
by doing these things subtly, becomes the most important and most sought after of the four. It's genius, isn't it, Huggy? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but that is clearly what they've set out to do. I guess I am saying it's right or wrong. There's something about it that's a little nefarious. It's, it's but right, but there's an inauthentic. It just feels inauthentic at the it's moment. But so so over time, I think that'll change. What do you reckon, Huggy? Well, you know, if you want to be pedantic about it, they, they, they are the most important tournament in the world because the other three majors are championships. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Masters is different. Hang, just hang on a sec, three. Huggy. Just hang on a sec. That was lovely, mate. That deserved a round of applause. <laughs> why? Why? Why am I being applauded? That's I've never. That's never happened before. <laughs> <laughs> sure, you've left somewhere where there's been applause. You just weren't there to hear them. Yeah. I'm assuming you were talking about the tour championship and the players championship and what oh the, the <laughs> is that the other majors that were the other well things no I tell you, well, I've, and I've written this many times and I, I think this is true if we started with a blank sheet of paper and you said right you've got to have four majors um, the players championship would be one of the four because it's the uh, it's the biggest tournament on the biggest tour I mean it would you'd have the two opens the players championship and I think the fourth one should or would be the the World Match Play Championship, which would go around the world, it would be somewhere different every year. That's that's that would be my idea of what would happen if we started again. Forget about starting again because we can't do that. This has just come to me, Logue. If you had a fifty-year plan for professional golf, what would you want it to look like in fifty years? Because oh, you can't do that with the PGA and Take It Global. You can't do that with the Match Play. You can't do this and you can't do that because we're used to things the way they are. If you could look ahead fifty years. With Huggy's sort of idea, if you were starting again, let's draw up what the majors will look like in 50 years' time. What would they look like in golf, do you reckon? I, well, I've got a fair idea of what they will look like. Yeah, I'm asking. Well, you're going to have <laughs> grid lines on every fairway, and it's yes, all going to be yeah, like a computer that. game. PGA Tour um, 2K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, that said, uh, and, and you know, the old course won't be in the rotor, and you know, it'll be it'll be a pitch pretty pretty disastrous. Yeah, it'll be, actually, it'll be underwater. So, thanks. If I, if I yeah, water yeah, that's right. Twenty twenty fifty, it's going St Andrews going to be underwater. So, thanks for you know making me think about that <laughs> bleak. You know the point I'm trying to make, though, don't I? Well, it's one of those things, I think, where, you know, if you want to prank your co-worker, you move their desk one inch at a time Mm -hmm. over a few weeks until they're, you know, stuck up against the window or something like that. But, uh, what you know, you've got to chip away at it. These things happen, like, real change, positive change occurs in little increments. um, And uh, it it starts with conversations and then continuing those conversations. And, you know, eventually we might see another match play tournament rise up to the level of being major status. So that'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, match play, we see it once a year. and uh, the PGA went. Or once or twice a year. And it's one of the most pure forms of golf. It's what golf's all about in a lot of ways. And There's an avenue be great for the PGA to, to go back to it, isn't there? Yeah. There's an avenue because it has been in the past. It would be a huge departure for any of the others to suddenly decide on it or create a new major match play. Yeah, event. that's right. Like vinyl records, there's no reason the PGA couldn't make an enormous comeback as a match play event. It has its issues in the television era, and we all understand It's that. so hard to handle a big field and, and get them all through. And but, but, yeah, there is something special about having to take on, you know, seven people or whatever it was, you know, through qualifying rounds in the old days as well. But, you know, take on seven people, you know, face-to-face and, and get them – and get, get through them. You know, that's, that's a real challenge. Um, and uh, we don't get that uh, – at the highest level, you know the WGC it just it just doesn't count. But no, I don't, especially the way the Suntory World Match Play at Wentworth was. Well, again, it was, was, was one an of, invitational though, wasn't it? it? That's right. So you could do things like that with a small field. Um, 
but yeah, the field size seems to be that's the problem for me. But look, it's a good conversation to have, I think, and keep working at it, and maybe something can happen with that. Is but it, yeah, it'd be great in fifty years' time. It'd be great to have a match play as a major. Yeah, isn't part of the problem, Huggy? That and I think we all fall for it in different ways, and we accuse others of falling for it. But what we're, what you always want to try and do is contrive the great moments. But the great moments can never be contrived, can they? This is what they've tried to do well, with the world match play event. They yeah, don't well, and all the great moments are match play. I mean, even in, within stroke play events. I mean, stroke play. I've said many, many times, is only interesting when it turns into match play. And, th- and this argument that the TV hates match play because you might get two no names going at it at the end. I mean. That happens a, lot, a huge number of times over the course of a year. I mean, imagine last week in Texas, if take Jordan Spieth out of it. If it had been Charlie Hoffman going up against Matt Wallace down the down the stretch, I mean, what do you think the viewing figures in America would have been to watch those two? I mean, that that and that's typical. That's what you get most weeks. I mean, it's not always a star name that comes through to win a, a regular tour event, especially a almost second-rate one that, uh, I mean, San Antonio had a sprinkling of names like Spieth because, uh, you know, he's trying to work his way back up. But I tell you what, if Spieth gets back to number three or four in the world, he's not going to be playing in San Antonio mm. in a couple of years' time. Except I mean, that it is he, the, he won't be there. Except that it is the Texas. I haven't looked at his history. I don't think he plays it every year, but it is the Texas Open and he is Texas, so there may be something. Yeah. But that level of tournament is, is yeah, going to be a, an, an exception if he yeah, is playing. I take a broader point. I guess we were spoiled for so long, Huggy, weren't we, by Tiger? Even though he didn't win every week, his winning percentage was staggering. But he was always there. There was always a Tiger story, no matter what. And on the very rare occasion when he didn't play particularly well, it was a little bit like that period of Brian Lara. He didn't score 100, and that was a headline <laughs> because he'd scored 100 every time he went out. We kind of got spoiled for the best part of a decade and a half or two decades by Tiger in that sense, didn't we? And yeah, but he wasn't there that often. I mean, he didn't play that often. No, that's right. Like, but every time he did. When he, yeah, he <laughs> agreed. But, I mean, there was <laughs> weeks and weeks where there was no sign of Tiger on the PGA Tour. I mean, if he play, how many did he play? Usually 16 Six, or 16 17, or so, and then a couple, a couple like overseas, that, yeah. 20 times a year probably on average, 20 to 25 times yeah, a year. Yeah, that's, that's not many. And, you know... It's not working as I say, either, I've is never, it? I've never understood the, the, the argument against match play. And that, well, oh, well, you might get Jeff Maggart against Andrew McGee in the final or whatever. Well, that's that's what you get a, a, a lot of times in stroke play. It's just that's, that's just the way it is. You know, that's what golf is. The best players don't always win. No. No, and that's what makes sport sport, isn't it? Because we've got to have a next best player. Who's going to be the next yeah. one? We've just seen, just seen Paddy Tavatanaket <laughs> <laughs> emerge for many of us. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, we haven't been watching closely enough to have, to have known her. She, she's, she co-led into the final round at one of the tournaments earlier in the year, done a bit of, little bit of research since then. So she's not an unknown quantity, but that next generation has to come from somewhere. And it's already somebody, as Huggy said, it's already somebody you add to the list of people you enjoy watching. Yeah. Um, I, I felt that a little bit with the A and WA mm-hmm. mixing up a bit. Um, yeah, there were only thirty players, and that's ridiculous. First of all, that they only allow thirty players onto Augusta National for that final round, and they don't they don't allow ties in either. They have to play off for the thirtieth yeah. spot. It's ridiculous. Anyway, all the were they worried about divots or something? I, all I'd the credit, that. all the good press, none of the golf. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> just and amazing. Plus they're, they're claiming that these are the best women amateurs in the world. Well, yeah, it's just the NCAA. Because no Korean has ever played in the event yet. Yeah, that's right. It's just the the NCAA Augusta National NCAA tournament. But yeah. and, um, and your point, Rod, about the you know the going up a passive aggressive nature of putting it right up against the the A and E. There was there was one amateur in the field at the A and E this year. One. Well yeah, Rose was, Zhang you could consider would have been a genuine contender at the at the A and A. 
But um, I think there was, in fairness, I think partially the LPGA made a decision this year to invite less amateurs, whether they took the invitation or not, because of the disturbed nature of the schedule last year. They wanted yep. to look after the professionals and have right. as many pros in the field as they could, that which worked. is understandable. That worked for this year then. And it did work for this year. So I think they only extended two invites for the a this year when they normally would have done six or seven, I think has been historically mm. six or seven of the top amateur players. Anyway, that's on a by the way. Yeah. Anyway, Tahagi's point about uh, uninteresting players, I'm not saying that I didn't know anybody in the ANWA except for Rosang and it was fascinating. It was really interesting day's play um, and it was com- because it was competitive golf and there was something at stake. I think any time, that's all you want from golf viewing is something at stake. Yeah. And that, that's what Spieth gives you when he's standing over the ball or when he's discussing something with Grella. He, he's, you, he's explaining to you what's at stake with this shot. And it really, that's why it, it draws you into the telecast. And I got that with the ANWA watching those women yeah. go around trying yeah. to take on the challenge. And, and the, it's the reason Augusta's so fascinating is because we know all of the holes. We know the shots. Of course, yeah. And now we're seeing a different style of play hitting those shots. And it's fascinating. And in a layer in the competitive nature of it, there was like six tied at one over with two holes to play or something. It was actually a blockbuster finish, but they were all sort of going backwards. <laughs> they were all backing. Yeah, can, uh, yeah, but I'd, still, it I'd was like competitive and something. That, I'm, I'm not, you know, saying that Charlie Hoffman and Matt Wallace are <laughs> necessarily you, boring. You're harsh on but, Jeff Maggot, I thought. But, throwing but for the wider audience, you know, I mean, they're not going to know who these guys are, and that the, you know, the. Casual audience, if you like, is, is not going to be there Indeed. for something like that. I, I will say in the in defence of Charlie Hoffman, who's not my favourite player, but did come up with one of my favourite lines at the Bridgestone event at uh, Firestone some years ago, standing on the 16th there with a maybe, maybe not second shot to the green. And I remember him distinctly turning and saying, he's going, look, we're trying to win a golf tournament here. Give me the three-wood. And you've got to admire that. <laughs> I'm having a go. I'm going to take a thwack at the greenie, and you know, I'm not going to lay up and, and play for second. We're trying to win the golf tournament. So good on him for that. Uh, but, yes, you're right. I think everyone understands the broader point. That's star power in golf. It's that weird crossover part of golf. Isn't it? There really is two forms of golf. Bobby Jones is right. There's golf and there's tournament golf. And tournament golf for fans isn't really related to golf in many ways. It's about personality hugging. That's what we're talking about here. Speed's a personality that draws you in. Paddy Tavitanik, it's a, a personality that draws you in. Lydia Ko draws you in. I had it in front Nailed of me. Nailed it. Nailed, Nailed it. It was right, right in front of me. That's really what it's about, isn't it? It's the personalities the driver, and that goes all the way back to Palmer, Hogan. doesn't matter what the specific personality is, but there's got to be something about that person that draws you in. Then you're interested in the golf and the results that come after. So. Really enjoying Huggy's take on all things golf, as I always do, and more from both he and Logue in just a moment. However... We've mentioned Jordan Spieth a couple of times already, and he, of course, is sponsored by Under Armour, just one of the brands you'll find on sale when you visit our network sponsor, thegolfsociety.com.au, Australia's leading online golf apparel concept store with the latest in fashion from the best brands at the best prices, and don't forget a 20% discount just for being a talking Golf listener. So surf over there now while you listen to the rest of this discussion, thegolfsociety.com.au, and use the code TG at checkout to get your 20% discount today. To the week ahead, Huggy, what do you look forward to at this point in Masters Week? I know at this point in Ryder Cup Week, your standard line is nothing continues to happen. At this yes. point in Masters Week, what are you generally doing when you're on the grounds there? What are you thinking? What's the what's the state of play on a Monday um, in Augusta? Well, I'd be doing whatever I'm told to do at this point in the week. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually interested this week. I'm being parochial for a minute. 
uh, interested to see how young uh, Bob McIntyre gets on this week in his Masters debut. He, he distinguished himself a little bit at the match play uh, a couple of weeks ago when he, he hit, you know, in the face of strong competition, he hit the shot of the week, really. Forget the holes in one by, you know, Sergio and uh, Tommy Fleetwood. Um, the, the drive that uh, McIntyre hit to two feet on the 18th hole, a 370-yard par four to, to knock out Dustin Johnson, was certainly the shot of the week, even if television no one didn't see it, it other, than, other than the end of it, with the ball rolled onto the green. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm interested in him. He's a left-hander. Is there anything to this story that left-handers have got an advantage at uh, Augusta? The, the only part of that that's ever made sense to me was was Mickelson's explanation of the 12th hole, yeah, where the, the left-handers do have an advantage mm. because a, a, a left-handed pool goes long and right, which is... You need to go long and right when, if you're on that line, and a left-handed push goes short and left where, where there's less of a carry. So mm-hmm. that that's about the only thing that made sense to me on, on the left-handed thing. But they have had six wins in the last 18 years, but that also means that there's been 12 right-handed wins. So you know whether you can argue it both ways, I suppose. I too will be interested in McIntyre's fortunes. He's a player to me, Huggy, that crosses over. Yes, I imagine there's a great deal of interest in him in Scotland, and rightfully so, but I think he's got a much broader appeal than that, as evidenced by, shameless plug, the chat that you had with him on the thing about golf. And one of the things that a podcast like that can do is introduce you to people that you now say, wow, I'm going to follow this guy. He was terrific in that interview, and he becomes one of those players that you're then drawn to. And, of course, he does have a remarkable golf game as well, as you say. So what do you think he's chance He's got that – we talked about this when we did the intro for that thing about golf episode. Resumes are fine, aren't you? There's a lot of good resumes in amateur golf, but there's got to be something a little bit more to really get to the top of the game. He's got that little bit more, doesn't he, Huggy? Whatever that is, and I don't think it's necessarily definable, he's got it, McIntyre, doesn't he? He's comfortable in the company. He's liked and likable. Uh, it, it seems he's pretty competitive, though, as well. Well, no question about so that. He's got that little bit of prick about him. Very much. He's <laughs> got some mongrel in him. Yeah. That's right. He's got some mongrel <laughs> in him. So, Yeah, uh, there's, there's a great Scottish word, uh, gallus. If you're if you're described as gallus, you you've kind of you're not arrogant, but you're you you've got a wee bit of cockiness about you. You we've got awareness of just how good you are. And uh, Bob McIntyre is definitely gallus. There's no doubt about that. You could see he, he he had the joy of playing against Johnson at the match plate, and he was really enjoying mm. and relishing that uh, mm. the, the the opportunity that that presented, both to test himself to and he wasn't he certainly wasn't intimidated or daunted by it. It would seem so. I too will be interested to see him. Uh, there this week. Is it a style of play? I, mean, I suppose most modern golfers, it's no doubt he's a long high ball hitter, Huggy, so Augusta should, is, yeah. Yeah. should set up well for his physical game, so then it's just a matter of uh, how that sort of attitude uh, stands up. What's it like, Augusta National, compared to covering other majors, Huggy? We always hear about the tree and this sort of congenial nature about the place, and certainly everybody's in a good mood, and the par three contests and former champions of other majors, a lot of very, very important, powerful, influential people wandering around at Augusta National. Is it different to an Open or a US Open or a PGA? Is there a more, do you get a bit more access, or is that a bit of a ruse or a. Yeah, it's getting more difficult, like everywhere. Um... Yeah, the the big talking point of the week is of, is always for me that you know the the makeup of the menu at the champions dinner. I mean that's obviously the far more important aspect of this, and that's another one of these traditions that uh, they they try and contrive. I mean, can you think of anything less or more banal than the menu for a champions dinner? But uh, I, I digress. Um, but yeah, it, it's getting more difficult. The the, the like everywhere else, they're, they're making access is getting more difficult. It's harder to get to the players. 
Um, they're, they're amateurs in the sense that the post-round um, interviews are, are not handled that well. And certainly in my experience, I, mean, I haven't been to the last one and this one, so maybe it's getting better. But um, they're, they're, <laughs> they're funny. I mean, they're, they're, they're so amateurish that it's funny because they're, you know, they're trying hard to, to make it to give, help us with our jobs, but they fail miserably. You get stuck away in a corner in the play. It's just nothing works like it should. Um, but then the, the Open Championship has problems with that as well. They have a, a they put us in a little tent with the play, and they bring the players in, and it's oh, it's chaos. Um, so it's very difficult to, to get that right, I think. But um, no, I, I, <laughs> the bottom line is uh, that they're no different from anywhere else. Um, the the luxury of the the media center tends to disguise um, <laughs> a lot look, of the faults, looks which is uh, the the media center is ridiculous, Augusta. Uh, it really is. I mean, it's it's like something that have gone with the wind. Yes, well, of course, that's all fairly self indulgent about what we get up to in the press when we go to these places. Yeah. I'm, always, I'm always interested yeah. to hear because, like it or not, at this stage still, the mainstream press, the working media, like as you mm. like to refer to, us, are the only real like weaponized that term path between. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Between the players and the administrators and all of the guff and the golf public fans. We know there's issues about media and whatnot, but that's why I'm always interested in how those things are evolving. Let's get to the actual tournament itself. Logue, what do you expect to unfold at Augusta now? Everyone's going to ask, who do you think is going to win? Stupid question. Obviously, you won't know. Uh, what do you expect to unfold, <laughs> though? Uh, well, you know, I just said Spieth. I would love to see Spieth up against Bryson. That Wouldn't that be good, you know? They the um, Spieth, Westwood, the buffoon versus the the artist. You know that's uh, and anything could happen with Spieth in the mix playing well. It it just bodes for an exciting prospect. Um, you know the way he's playing and the consistency that he's turning up with week after week. You feel like he's certainly going to be in the mix, and that's all you can really want. Um, so yeah, apart from that. Um, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. Rory could could have it in him. I don't know. The course seems firm from what we saw at the ANWA. Um, I thought it could firm up a little bit more, to be honest. The the this, I think Shackelford posted an article about you know how the ball was, make, was making the right noise when it mm-hmm. hit the ground, and that's fair enough. But it wasn't rolling out that much. Um, I didn't think, at least. So I think that's got some way to go, and they'll probably dial it in over the next few days. So. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see Augusta National playing a little bit firmer than it has in the last few years and uh, an informed Spieth. Um, but what, what more can you say no, about a tournament? Yeah, any tournament. Three days you know, out, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. He definitely adds something, doesn't he, Huggy? As soon as he won on Sunday, Spieth, that made the Masters that much more, much more interesting, didn't it? It would have been more interesting had he just contended. But the fact that he won, suddenly the Masters just goes up a little notch because, oh, yeah. he's back. So Yeah, I mean, it's going to be fascinating. I like the... You know, talking about the golf course. I mean, the the weather forecast is is really good for the for the coming week. It's to be hot and sunny pretty much every day, so the course will firm up. I think even without them doing anything. But the Augusta, as as you guys know already, that the, they can dial in whatever they want. They, they if, given the weather forecast, they will already know yeah. what the winning score is going to be within a shot. Wow. Unless somebody goes crazy, which they, they can't legislate for that, but that doesn't happen very often, especially when the course is firm and fast because they're they're playing defensive golf a lot of the time. But the, they'll they'll know what the winning score is already. <clears throat> I guarantee it that they they'll they'll have it you know figured out 
that it's probably going to be, I would imagine, just under 10 under, maybe 10 under or 9th in that area. That's, that's what they'll be aiming for. And that's what they'll get because they can... They can create the they, they create the winning score. It's the only place in the world, I think, where they can do that if they get, you know, standard kind of weather conditions. Obviously the weather's the X factor and all this, but they they'll they'll know. I'll tell you, they they will know within a shot what the winning score is going to be right now. How do they do that, Huggy? <laughs> That's extraordinary. You're right. I think we all money. accept that it's most likely <laughs> well, they're incredibly yeah. rich. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's it's money and the study of statistics. Yeah. And da- they've got all the data. I mean, they've got yeah. everything. They'll, they'll, they'll know what the average score is when the conditions are like X and, and like Y and like Z. And, you know, and they'll, and they'll look at the weather forecast and say, right, when, when we get that weather and we put the pins in those places – that's what the average score is, and that's what you know, and they can so they can create the winning score. That's how they do it. I mean, it's all done. It's mathematics and and just the sheer weight of data that they have every. I mean, they every they can go back. You know, goodness knows how far, and it's the same golf course every year. So that they can. It's it's a fascination to me that they, they can do that. I mean, and I'm not so sure I like it. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't but mean it's, it's a good uh, thing or desirable. The game loses a bit of its randomness in a way if they do that, but it's still fascinating that they can, you know, and that they, they there's some really smart people in that golf club. I mean, they know exactly what they're doing in every aspect of their business. Yeah, well, they can get it to a certain level, but then you can't account for somebody going nuts in the last. No, that's few right. Holes that's, that, as I say, that's the one X factor. You get the Ray Floyd in exactly. 1976, or you know that kind of thing. Arnold yeah. Palmer finishing with three threes or something like that. You just you can't you can't anticipate that um yeah. so yeah and spieth again you know we <laughs> just can't anticipate anything spieth yeah. does so that's um, but they'll be very close i guarantee you they, they were if you if they were honest enough to tell you if they put it, the, the winning score in an envelope tonight i bet you they'd be within a shot of it yeah wow by sunday night yeah yeah it's amazing, isn't it? it? Really is remarkable. As you say, though, Huggy, it's genuinely fascinating, but a bit like a car accident. Not necessarily for all the right reasons. You, yeah, you get a look into something you're not sure that you necessarily think the game is best served by. Which goes back to the point that Huggy was making earlier. Like Augusta National is a fine example of so much of golf that is unpalatable, mm-hmm. and that golf needs to fix for its own good in the longer term. And yet they host this incredibly exciting. I, th- I think we said it once, Huggy, on State of the Game, way, way, way back when you were still with us on State of the Game. We'll forgive Augusta <laughs> National anything. That ago. is a long time ago. But we will forgive Augusta National anything if the golf is good, won't we? That's the truth of it. Yes. The, the, the mm-hmm. golf, they get away with murder because of the golf. The golf saves the day every year. and But they're, they're, they're part of that too because they, especially on Sunday, I mean, the, you, the reason it's so exciting on Sunday, generally speaking, is because they set it up for that. I mean, the... The 16th green is the perfect example. I mean, Nick Faldo, a long, long time ago when I was at Golf Digest in the States and I was doing something with him, he said they should blow up that green. He said the greens it's absolute nonsense. And he's right. It's, it's a nonsensical green because it's set up for – they set it up for holes in one, for goodness sake. It's a putt-putt green, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, I mean, and, and you can take the view that you can get a bit sniffy. Well, is that really proper golf and all that kind of thing? But it, it, there's no getting away from the fact that it's exciting and, and mm-hmm. they, they do a great job uh, to give them credit for something for once for, uh, for on my end, that they do a great job of setting it up. I mean, it's fantastic to watch on the Sunday because they bring in all kinds of numbers yeah, into play. I mean, the par fives are the 
best examples, obviously, because you can go anything from three to eight on those holes. Mm-hmm. Was Indeed. the 16th pin in a different spot round four last year? Last year, maybe, yeah. That was a very, I yeah. found it very I annoying. Up on the back. To your point, Huggy, it was very annoying that, that was, it wasn't in that, that Yeah, that was the time of year had a bit to do with that. Well, the, th- the thing about the 16 is you've got to hit the right shot. It's not just like anybody can lob it on the green and it finishes near the hole. You've got to hit the right shot with the right shape and the right trick. And if you don't, yep. you can be in a diabolical place. Uh, yeah. yeah. So there is a golf element to Norman, it. Yes. Norman went over the back there on in 87. Woods' chip in in 05 was from a spot where he should have made five. Exactly. That's yep. the truth of it. Mm. Yep. Um, yeah. That was probably the best shot, he, possibly the best shot he's ever hit. Steve Williams says it's the best shot he ever hit, that pitch that he hit there. He said he oh, had a, uh, must, that must be right then. Well, <laughs> that's exactly. I forgot, forgot I'd bring it up another one of your nemesis. Is nemesis? What's the plural of nemesis? Despicable. Despicable Steve Williams. Nemesis. Nemesis. Yes, indeed. So they do produce excitement there, don't they? Like, and it doesn't matter whether, even if you go into the week full of anti sentiment, by the time we get to the 10th tee Sunday with the last few groups, You've been reeled in, haven't you, Logue? You just can't wait to see what's going to unfold. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it, it's very, very watchable. <laughs> just, and that, that just gets back to what we've said. I mean, they run a great tournament. Yeah, they do it's run a great, a great tournament. tournament yeah. There's and it, no getting away from it. Nobody who's ever been there comes back saying, yeah, it was so, so, so. Great, great. Everyone. You've been, haven't you, Logue? You went to the yeah. Masters once. Great sandwiches. Great sandwiches, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> he comes from the land of haggis. Horrible. Pimento cheese. It's dear, oh dear, oh dear. It's up there. Let's finish up quickly with the ANWA because, as I said, I didn't get to see any shots of it. The Japanese girl won it. Kachitani. Tsubasa Kachitani. Oh, well, <laughs> you've got some Japanese background, so you've uh, you've uh, started ahead of the field there. Just quickly talk us through what happened. I know Grace Kim, I think she was the only Australian in the field. She didn't make she the didn't, final 30. Yeah, she didn't make the final 30. Um the, yeah, so well, I don't. The, they all sort of backed up into the finish. Um, but like I said, there was six on one over par with two holes to play. It was anybody's tournament. It was very exciting at that point, but everybody sort of made their mistakes. Kajitani made a double bogey out of nowhere on 17, just, uh, you know, short of the green, like sort of chunked one up short of the green and chipped on and three-putted like, like you'd do. And, uh, oh, I would have chipped on. <laughs> that was <laughs> uh, <laughs> three goes before I got it on the green. And Close they rate. they all had stories like that where I don't know if they didn't know that they were in, but just so many of them came to eighteen just needing par to make that playoff and uh, didn't. So didn't Kari told us last week that she was concerned before the first one that the Could players might embarrass themselves because yeah. they got one practice round and then it's go play Augusta National in tournament conditions. Well, there's talk. I heard something about. And I might have this wrong, but they were talking about staging that practice round after the event in future years. Did you hear anything about this, Huggy? Well, that would be a then. I might be making that up. A practice round after the event? Well, they were going to make it into well, something that they yeah, put on TV yeah. or something. I don't know. It, it didn't make any sense to it me. It made no sense Practi- at all. Practice round after the event. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't Was know that an April Fool, do you think? Oh, maybe. Oh, have you been sucked in? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. It I wouldn't be like Augusta been, National yeah. to do something. Someone else. Um Anyway, that yeah, it is. It's ridiculous. But why only thirty? Why only one round at Augusta National? They, are they worried about divots or something? I don't know. They can. Well, why that week? Uh, look, why that week as well? The week after would make a hell of a lot more sense. Different month. We know the course is playable in November. Why not have it in November? Have a women's Masters in November. Yeah, I mean, you really Pinehurst want to do something for the game. That it works really well two weeks in a row yeah. as well. If you want to do it while the tournament infrastructure is there yeah. and while the um, journalists are all there. Augustus is just part of it. That. Just do it the week after. Yeah. Like, 
and there's hand plenty of hand wavy explanations about it being like it's better as a more exciting lead in while the while the build up is on. This is an event that people get excited about. But then in the same thing, there's some members event that's on the Wednesday of that week, which is one of the reasons why they go out to Champions Retreat. Um, there's some like traditional week before the Masters members event on the Wednesday, which you know has the course booked out, which is you know classic thing of the uh, <laughs> affecting women's golf the world over, isn't it? Yeah. Like some oh the you know the members get the the course that day, and so the women <laughs> in their incredibly yeah, important true. tournament have to go to some other course. Yeah, just there's a um, there's a anyway. bunch of tokenism, smacks of a bunch of tokenism. You know. Yeah, it's crying out for a women's masters. You're right. Oh. They're never going to do that two weeks in a row like the US Open did a few years ago. And the irony, of course, being that Augusta National is one of the few places where that would work because the the, the rough is it's minimal. Even you know, I would argue that there's too much rough, but the, it's still minimal. The, the women could play from the rough at Augusta National, generally speaking, because if you have it on a US Open traditional US Open style course, you, you couldn't do that. Pinehurst was about the only place where That's right. that would work point. for the US Open. But they're never going to do it two weeks in a row because they, I think in their minds that would diminish the, the impact of the, 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 the masters they have already. But you're right, though. There's no reason why they couldn't have it I, you know, I think some other time. If, if that is what they think, I think they've misread that badly. It would enhance the reputation of the club enormously and it would actually do a service for the game worldwide. To just take but the would, step. Would they have to call it the mistresses? Though? Well, that's a little. I'm not sure I'm going to leave that in, Huggy. I'm not sure. Of those. Why? Why? Just, the, the masters and the mistresses. I mean, that's. Oh, you know. okay. I see where you go. What would they call it? That, that was a serious question. Was that, that's the female equivalent of yeah, masters. That's true. Isn't it? yeah. It's just as insulting. <laughs> it's, it's got a bad, bad ring to it. That's that's for sure. I just call it the well, master. You know, so is master. If you if you want, it would be an opportunity to drop the masters, wouldn't it? If they had a women's one, <laughs> they could go back to the Augusta National Invitational. Yes, there you go. Yeah, indeed. But it would do an enormous amount for the game, men's and women's yeah. golf. You know, the, 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 and and they're in a position to do it. I'm not sure what the resistance necessarily is. They've obviously come up with this as a, a way to try and tick a box in a way. And look, look mm. credit where it's due. The concept is fantastic. It's the execution that's failed it. Yeah. With the, yeah. I mean, has it got a future, do you think? I mean, well, I, don't, I don't pay enough attention to it. I don't yeah. think they'll drop it. I can't see Augusta. That would be too embarrassing to start it and then drop it. But I do think that they might start to change it depending. Gabby Ruffles knocked back the invitation twice to go to the ANA. If that really starts to happen a lot, you might see them rethink it. Look, let's hope so. As Logue says, these things are often generational and it'll take some time. Who knows what the actual long-term plan is, but uh, credit where it's due. It is a, you know, there was a, a lot of us would ne- if you'd told me in 2010 that there would one day be a women's amateur tournament played in any shape or form at Augusta National, I would have said you were kidding yourself. So they've come a long way in that sense. Yeah, uh, they're still a bit like the RNA, though, and the... the- the, the junior section is, is holding relatively steady at zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got the drive, chip, and putt, Augusta National, which is another one that's contentious. Not everybody thinks that's a great. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's, a, it's, it's all a, about it's a, a comp- competition for rich kids. It is. And it's a, they're extraordinarily self important at the end of the day, Augusta National. Everything they do is about Augusta National being at the forefront of everybody's thinking about everything. And that's ultimately never a great motive in the broader sense mm-hmm. of the game. It's what separates the RNA and the USGA yeah, from right. from other from bodies that have that vested interest in their own outcomes. 
the, the USJ and RNA have a little bit of that, but you just meet, need to meet some people from there, from those organisations, to know that they genuinely are sports administrators who care about, about the outcomes. St- they don't always get things right, but they they care about the future of the game. Yeah. Pretty good. Well, that, that certainly came across with Martin Slumbers. I hope it did. Um, that he he really does care. You know. Beautiful segue, Huggy, and I did want to touch on that before we go, and we will wrap it up uh, now. The Martin Slumbers interview, you obviously listened to it, have you, like? I did, yep. There's some fascinating stuff in there. If you're interested in golf beyond just your own Stableford score each week, uh, there's some fabulous stuff in that interview with Martin Slumbers. We discussed this in the intro, Huggy, but he's in a somewhat awkward position in some ways, isn't he, as the CEO of the RNA. He's a little bit limited in some of the things he can say. There's a yeah. lot to take from some of the things he didn't say in the interview, and some of the things that he did say were also extremely interesting, I thought. Yeah, I mean, there, there are questions that he's he's not going to touch and he's not going to answer properly because he can't. I mean, it's just it's just the way it is. If you're if you're part of the establishment, that's just that's just a fact of life. Mm, indeed. But look, I hope you got this too. Like, he has quietly, without attracting almost any attention, he has radically changed the culture of the RNA and the direction it's going. Mm-hmm. Case in point is the public golf course that they've taken over. In mm. Glasgow, yeah, and what they're going to turn the RNA would never have done that ten years ago, it's just, and, and there's been no fuss about that. And he's he's steered them in that direction with no fuss. That's a that's a hell of a feather in his cap, I think. It's really interesting, and I I, I was interested in the part of the conversation. It sort of started, Huggy, when you you asked him about the process of getting the job. I think it was around 2015 mm. that he started getting yeah. interviewed. Yeah, and the RNA had actually just embarked on bit of a rebranding exercise for the Open at uh, St Andrews that year and they launched that new brand and uh, it seems as though he had some early input into that or uh, and it, he certainly, whether how much influence he had at that point I don't know but he certainly carried it forward and now the brand is very strong and I, I, I really I really like how they present themselves. I, I think the RNA is one of the it's it's not a brand that I'd ridicule in. Um, <laughs> their, their, lo- like, their, their logo is not going to come under it, fire. It's, except to point out what's really good about it. It's very well executed yeah. and they stick to it really well. And it does create um, a sense of like this organisation knows what it's doing, knows what it's knows where it's headed, knows it, it gives it a good sense of authority. Um, and uh, yeah, th- th- then their initiatives over the last just look at what's happened in golf over the last few years. It's really headed in the right direction. Um, you know, world handicapping is something. Um, obviously, I'm a little bit involved in that. I think it's a fantastic initiative. It's it's quite an amazing mm. task. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Getting a handicap uh, right at a club is difficult enough. That alone d- the just world. coming up with the regulate, like everything in that entire process, from like coming up with the concepts and the regulations and and hashing that out with committees made up from organisations and jurisdictions all around the world through to actually, you know, implementing <laughs> it and getting it to be rolled out in software systems all around the world. That's an enormous undertaking. People, it's very easy to throw rocks at initiatives like that, um, but it's uh, it's quite a remarkable drive that, and it has to come from the top um, for an organisation to push something through like that. And there's a great sense of cooper- things like that have also created a great sense of cooperation between the RNA and the USGA, um, which uh, so th- you know they don't push and like, they push and pull a little bit, but they're basically headed in the same direction on most things. They're on the same page with most things, and we're seeing it now with distance insights as well. So yeah, that leadership is not not being content to stick with the status quo in golf is encouraging in a couple of practical ways behind the scenes for golfers with world handicapping and distance insights is all stuff that 
is you know showing they care about the future of the game and it'll translate into other areas like public golf mm-hmm. so um yeah it's it's good it's all encouraging stuff and I yeah, Mike, Mike Juan getting the job at the USGA is a good move as well. I mean, he's 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 a real departure for them. You know, somebody like him coming from the, the pre- world that he's come yeah. from to to be in the head of the USGA is a, is a very positive thing. I think he's got a lot of political capital in golf, Mike Juan, mm-hmm. uh, an awful lot of integrity and respect. So in that sense, absolutely. I'm not sure about. I came away from the Slumbers interview, and I think this is the greatest compliment you could possibly pay. I came away from the Slumbers interview thinking to myself. I don't necessarily agree with everything that he does and talks about and says, but I'm glad he is in charge of the game on mm. that side of the pond because he clearly gets it. He's talk about his own personal golf related. That's what it's all about ultimately. That's why everybody, everybody's in this game from the very top professionals down to those of us who play on the weekend is that that appeal of the, the game at its very core level, and he has that. I don't know if Mike Wilds does. I'm not saying he doesn't. I don't know if he does. Uh, and I guess we'll get to see. But, yes, in terms of position within the game and politically, brilliant appointment, Mike Wan. And uh, I think he and Slumbers, I, I imagine that he and Slumbers will collaborate really well. I would see those two getting along yeah, uh, with, their, with their backgrounds and whatnot. So, terrific stuff. Well, there you go. Well, I don't think we've solved many of the problems of the world. We've certainly identified a few of them, Huggy, and it's always a joy to do so with you. And <laughs> I know it's getting late at night there, so we'll let you get off to bed. But it's been great to chat to you as always, mate. And thank you for taking some time and uh, looking forward to doing it again soon. It's my pleasure. Did I mention that Hibs beat Queen of the South tonight? <laughs> I, was, I was actually just going to ask you that. Yes, apparently Hibs yeah. beat – who did they beat? Queen of the South. Queen of the South. Yeah, they're, they're, they're based in Dumfries. I'd like to find wow. their logo. We can have you, <laughs> Queen of the South, take it apart for us. See if it's any good. Been great to have you aboard to do to uh, today, Luke. Thank you for that, mate. Thanks, uh, Rod. Thanks for watching the golf at the weekend. It's practically <laughs> working media when you do it like that. That's episode 71 of the Good Good Golf Podcast in the books, despite a recording glitch earlier on, which we've survived. Uh, We'll be back with episode 72, when we'll know who the latest Masters champion is next week, here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.